Today on Not Sam Wrestling, the rumors are flying. What's in store for the Royal Rumble? There's Bret Hart tribute matches going on, and some rumors have been circulating about the cover superstar for WWE 2K22, and the reactions have gotten me thinking, it's story time. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. How are we doing? Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. Oh, we're getting closer and closer. Royal Rumble time, getting towards WrestleMania. You can feel it. It's always a good time in the beginning of the year for wrestling. It's always fun. There's always things happening. There's always people talking about surprises. Hopefully we'll get some time today to talk about some things that I'd like to see happen at the Royal Rumble. Because there's a lot that I need to get off my chest today. So hopefully we get there. If not, maybe we'll hit it on the Patreon. Maybe we'll hit it next week. Whatever. We're going to hit it. We hit it all here at Not Sam Wrestling. Shout outs, by the way, to Mattel. Thank you to Mattel. Sometimes we wonder why do we do the things that we do. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you could tell Sam at five years old, eight years old, 10 years old, 12 years old, 16 years old, 22, 25, 30 year old Sam, if you could tell him he'd just wake up one day and there'd be a stack of boxes from Mattel with elite collection inside, he'd go, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. It's so cool. And I'm going to tell you, Mattel is like knocking it out of the park. This is not an ad. Like I said, I woke up the other morning. There's a stack of boxes from Mattel and I tear them open. First of all, the new Superstar set is in there, which I think is like a Walmart exclusive. It's got Hogan, Flair, Bray Wyatt, and uh, Honky Tonk Man in it. But they do them like the AWA Remco figures, like a modernized version of the AWA Remco figures where they're not attached together by a cheap rubber band that eventually is going to snap. Like the articulation and stuff is very 2022. Like they're actually feel like they're substantial, but the figures themselves are, are amazing. They're like He-Man bodies with like fabric clothes and everything. Honky Tonk Man's got a jumpsuit. Hogan's got the tearaway t-shirt. It's just, it's so much fun. But the thing that was really fun is that I open up the latest elite line of figures and there's the Dominic Mysterio figures in there. Of course, we're going to be talking about that today. But what's really cool is that I open it up and there's an elite collection figure of the goon. The goon, not Bill Irwin, the goon, as the goon. This figure, and they they spared no expense. They made... New boots, you'll never be able to use this again. You know, the thing about wrestling figures is that they try to reuse as many parts as possible so that they can save money. Like, you know, there's only a certain number of style of wrestling boots, for example. So they could slap those boots onto several different figures, save money on the on, on sculpting new boots for everybody, right? That's a big expense. The Goon was a very unique wrestler. The Goon popped up in 95, and uh, the gimmick was that he was so, he, he was just so dangerous on the hockey rink that he ended up in the penalty box so much that they threw him out of hockey and he said, the only way I can get all this aggression out of my system is if I become a professional wrestler. But he wrestled not only in a hockey jersey, not only did he come to the ring with hockey gloves on, but his wrestling boots, I don't even, I to this day don't know how they engineered them. His wrestling boots had like very, very thick soles like the bottom of it was very thick and angled in like an ice skate. So it looked like his wrestling boots, there was no blade, obviously. They would have cut up the canvas, but his wrestling boots actually looked like ice skates. This was not a man who had any pay-per-view matches. Uh, he didn't last terribly long in the promotion, but it was long enough that I opened up this elite uh, uh, box and he's in there. He's got a fabric hockey jersey. He comes with a hockey stick. He's got gloves molded on. You can swap out the gloves to put on regular hands, but they made gloves for him. They made boots. that like These are brand new boot molds that actually look like hockey skates. It's amazing. I live for this stuff. Like the Mattel figures that I love, I love that they did the Shockmaster, the Goon. They just put out a, a Zodiac figure. They got Brutus Beefcake, and so they said, we've done the Beefcake. 
We need a Zodiac figure. I haven't found it yet. I'm on the lookout for it. But like they did the Red Rooster. Oh, 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 oh. Those are the ones that I can't get enough of. Dr. Isaac Yankum DDS. I have Dr. Isaac Yankum DDS Elite. It's amazing. I got so excited and I figured that you guys would be the ones that I could actually share it with. You guys would be the ones that might actually appreciate that. I tried to explain to my wife why it was so great. And she was like, you got to get a, I would say get a hobby, but this is what happens when you get a hobby. I guess I'll just sit here and nod politely. Hopefully at some point you'll stop talking. I won't. I won't. That's the thing about me. Uh, Speaking about appreciating hobbies though, I am appreciating something that's going on right now. So CM Punk in AEW, his first match with Darby Allen, it was, uh, they went back and I didn't realize it was happening. Like there was something about it when he had the match with Darby Allen and he had his long tights on. I remember like as a fan, I'm sitting there going like something is very Bret Hart about this. I feel like CM Punk, I don't know if it's just because that's where he's at in his career. I don't know if it's because he's wearing long tights that have stars on them, but there's something about this that feels very Bret Hart to me. And then people started doing side-by-side comparisons, and I went, oh, my God. The Darby Allen match, it was like a move-for-move tribute to the match that Bret Hart had with the 1-2-3 kid. He had that on an episode of Monday Night Raw from 1994. It's one of the best Bret Hart matches. It's one of the best 1-2-3 kid matches. It's so amazing. The 1-2-3 kid had a qualifying match with Nikolai Volkov, Monday Night Raw. The winner got a shot at the WWE Championship. At the time, in hindsight, neither the 1-2-3 kid nor Nikolai Volkov, who was in the period of his career where he was coming to the ring with a Sense t-shirt on. That's what Mattel needs to make. I don't know that either one of them were in line for a WWE Championship opportunity at that moment, but they had the match. The 1-2-3 kid won. I was in the house for that match. I was in the building at the Westchester County Center for the 1-2-3 kid Nikolai match. I did not get to see the one, two, three kid Bret Hart match in attendance, but that match, like it lives on to this day. It's one of those uh, uh, buried treasures. Go back and find it on an episode of Raw and watch it. But that's what the, so the CM Punk Darby Allen match was that. That's why I was getting those vibes. That's why I liked it so much. Punk did it again, man. Punk had this match. And this time I knew as soon as I saw it, I didn't know as the match was happening, but I'll never forget the finish of Survivor Series 95. It was Diesel versus Bret Hart. WWE was running on Diesel power. I was a big Diesel fan. I loved me some Big Daddy Cool at that time in my life. I was probably about 12 years old, and I was as big a Diesel fan as you're going to get. I had the poster. I had the gloves. I had the T-shirts. I had everything. I loved Diesel. I wanted to put Diesel in my mom's car. She was like, it's not going gonna, not gonna to do anything. I'm like, Mom, we need to be running on Diesel power here. It's the new generation, for God's sake. Well, I'll always remember... Survivor Series 95, Diesel shows one moment of like, man, I don't know. Like he's not aggressive enough. And he picks Bret Hart up for another jackknife. Bret Hart just kind of collapses. Diesel goes, oh, he leans down to pick him up again. Bret Hart small packages him, one, two, three, becomes the WWE champion once more. And Diesel starts cussing. And that's when Diesel goes on his... uh, heel turn, which eventually, you know, leads to WrestleMania that year and the match with The Undertaker. One final match, good friends, bitter, better enemies at, in your house, and then he's off to WCW. But when I saw Wardlow and CM Punk, and I saw Wardlow go for the powerbomb, CM Punk collapses, Wardlow bends down to pick him up, CM Punk gets him with the small package, I said, God damn it, Punk, you did it again, you bastard, you did it again. What if we just do this Brett match? I'm telling you right now, If CM Punk is advertised in any Iron Man matches, he is going the distance and he is going to try to finish with a sharpshooter. If CM Punk versus MJF ends up being an Iron Man match, CM Punk's not winning that one. I'll tell you right now, he better not schedule any matches in Montreal. But I am, it does excite me very much to see that. Well, you know, let's just get into this, okay? While we're talking about uh, Mattel and merchandise and all this stuff, There were some leaks over the weekend on the internet, and I don't know if these leaks are true. The reason I'm even talking about it is because it led me to this bigger conversation that I think we need to have. But I don't know if the leaks are true or not. Uh, I do know that 2K22 is finally coming back. It's coming out this year. We didn't get a 2K21. 2K20, not so great. Um, 
I am going to be doing some fun stuff uh, in the future with 2K games that you'll all see as we lead up to the 2K22 uh, release, WWE 2K22. But, like, I don't know anything, right? I don't know any secrets. I'm not exposed to any information. I don't ask any questions. I just go where they tell me to go. But whoever is the cover star is always a big thing every year, right? Like you've seen, you know, like when Seth Rollins got it. Seth Rollins got it the year after. Remember, like, I think it was The Rock the year before. And I think Seth Rollins actually complained publicly about the fact that it shouldn't be a, it should be a full-timer that's on the cover of those games. And then Seth Rollins got it the next year. A lot of times they do big reveals on on Raw. It's a big deal. You know, it's it's like here we have one video game a year, if that. Here's who the cover superstar is. And some covers leaked. And it was Rey Mysterio. And all day on Sunday, Rey Mysterio was trending because of the reaction to the cover and the reaction to the reactions. Now, I really saw more reaction to the reaction, but I still felt... Like, this story needs to be told. Apparently, the reactions that I saw were reactions to people talking crazy about Rey Mysterio. And people showing up to Twitter and acting like he shouldn't be the cover star or he's not all that or this or that or why isn't it this person or why isn't it that person? Why would it be Rey Mysterio? And I guess the thing, like, their logic would be well, when was the last time Rey Mysterio was in the main event? Why would Rey Mysterio be the cover of this game? And I think that if that is your position, it is, I can't even say it's stupid, it's ignorant. It is the most uneducated, uninformed take that you could ever have about this video game. If there was any star that should be on the cover of this game, I would think it was Rey Mysterio. And look, watch it not be Rey Mysterio and it's going to come back to bite me. However, my point here is there is no reason why you wouldn't put Rey Mysterio on the cover of a wrestling video game. You understand there are people that haven't watched wrestling in 20 years, that have not turned on a wrestling show in 20 years. And if you ask them, who's your favorite wrestler of all time? They'll tell you Rey Mysterio. There are people who haven't watched wrestling in two decades that will see Rey Mysterio on the cover of a wrestling game and go like, oh, I bet that's fun. I loved Rey Mysterio. And if they watched Rey Mysterio today, it would be like they had stepped into a time machine because he's still doing all the stuff that he did back then. Even the people that do watch wrestling actively, that watch wrestling all the time. I know very few people that have more fan goodwill than Rey Mysterio. I have never heard a negative story about Rey Mysterio interacting with a fan from a fan's perspective. I have never heard somebody from within the business say an unkind word about Rey Mysterio. And when you look at the career of Rey Mysterio, you know, he's got the tights that say greatest masked superstar of all time, whatever, whatever caveat you want to put on it. When you look at the career of Rey Mysterio, you realize that not only is Ray goat level, but there will simply never in any of our lifetimes be another Ray Mysterio. Let's talk about the career of Ray Mysterio. Of course, Ray started his lucha career as Ray Mysterio Jr. in 1989. He's 14 years old when he starts wrestling in 1989. Now, to put that all into perspective, the same Rey Mysterio that we see today, the same Rey Mysterio that's on Raw or SmackDown or pay-per-views, was wrestling in Mexico during the same era that Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior were headlining WrestleMania. When the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan were the main event for WrestleMania, Rey Mysterio, who you watch wrestling today, was also wrestling. Following in the footsteps of his uncle, Rey Mysterio Sr., by 1992, Rey was wrestling for AAA, a new wrestling group in Mexico that was an offshoot of CMLL, the premier lucha group in all of Mexico. Antonio Pena started AAA as the booker. After leaving CMLL and bringing Conan and some of CMLL's other stars with him, they bring in young independent talent like Rey, and have a roster that includes Mysterio, Psychosis, Octagon, 
Conan, Eddie Guerrero, La Parca, Juventud Guerrera, and many others. Ray even spent time teaming with his uncle, Ray Sr. in AAA, foreshadowing what would come almost 30 years later. America, myself included, got their first taste of Rey Mysterio when he was brought in by ECW. Paul Heyman brought Rey Mysterio Jr. and Psychosis to Philadelphia, the ECW arena, for Gangsta's Paradise in September of 1995. Rey and Psychosis had the unenviable task of introducing a notoriously bloodthirsty and high expectations having crowd to a style of wrestling that they were not used to seeing in the States, let alone in the ECW arena. This was way before entertainment had been globalized. This was before the internet made all of the content available for everyone. Even unless you were a tape trader or you had spent some time growing up in Mexico or something like that, even a lot of the hardcore, diehard fans in the ECW arena were not exposed to Lucha Libre. Maybe you had seen your friend's tape. Maybe you watched the WCW Worlds Collide pay-per-view. But day in, day out, as a real style of wrestling, this wasn't something that they were familiar with. Most of them, anyway. With their brightly colored attire and masks, the Luchadors look like something you might sooner see in 1995 WWE than 1995 ECW, save, of course, for their size. But the extreme speed and athleticism that Ray and Psychosis worked with won the crowd over quickly and huge. We would see Ray thrown around like a rag doll at times, a selling style that created sympathy and an unmistakable portrayal of the ultimate underdog babyface, a quality that he would continue to perfect over the next 25 years. Moving and flipping in ways physics shouldn't allow ending up flying from the ring into the crowd. The two had the audience in disbelief. And upon pinning his opponent, Ray got a standing ovation from those Philadelphia diehards. Ray and Psychosis would be a staple for the next few months at ECW shows, including a Mexican death match they'd have at November to Remember 1995 which showed not only their ability to incorporate the hardcore style into what they did, but Ray's unmatched ability to bring the audience with him on his journey to fight from beneath. In six months, Ray had not only won a new fan base, but he had sold a lot of that fan base on Lucha as a whole, the entire genre. Ray had his last ECW match with Juventud Guerrera, at Big Ass Extreme Bash before heading to WCW to be a pillar of their newly emphasized cruiserweight division. As WCW looked to build Monday Nitro as the true alternative to WWE's Monday Night Raw, they looked to offer what the competition was not. Storyline-wise, this meant things like the NWO, and reality-based storylines, as opposed to the -the over-the-top heroes and villains WWE had become known for. In ring, it meant showcasing a more athletic style than had ever been showcased on mainstream national American television before. Eric Bischoff looked to do what Paul Heyman did for the ECW arena for all of America. In order to do that, he needed Rey Mysterio Jr., Many of the Lucha stars of AAA and stars that would go through ECW would become the key parts of WCW's cruiserweight division. Ray was joined by Psychosis, La Parca, Juventud Guerrera, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Jericho, and more. While many casuals talked about the NWO, wrestling fans and casuals who became wrestling fans would talk about the unbelievable matches they were seeing and the cruiserweights that were pulling them off. Ray would continue telling the story of the ultimate underdog who defied the laws of physics when he lost a title opportunity against Dean Malenko in his WCW debut. It would take him about a month to earn another shot to get that title from Malenko. The cruiserweight division was a group of undeniables. Superstars brought in not necessarily to main event, but who were consistently putting on matches that were so amazing 
you couldn't help but leave the arena talking about them. It only made sense for Rey Mysterio to be the number one in that division. Rey Mysterio may be the GOAT of wrestling, but you know who the GOAT of jewelry is, right? He calls himself a GOAT. He starts by and he's Steven Singer and everybody hates him. You guys have heard me talk about him. He supports this show. That should be enough to get people to hate him. No, that's not why people hate him. The reason people hate him is because these other jewelers, they can't compete. Of course, if you were in a competing industry, you would hate Steven Singer as well. Steven Singer has the best Valentine's Day gift ever. Can you imagine trying to be a jeweler and know that there's another jeweler out there with the best Valentine's Day gift ever? You probably are thinking, yeah, but I don't want to take out a second mortgage on the house. You're not going to have to. Steven wants you to have the best Valentine's Day gift ever and keep your house. I'm excited to tell you about how it's all happening. See, Steven Singer and I are bringing you the best Valentine's Day gift ever. I want you to picture this. A real long stem American Beauty Rose lavishly and deeply dipped in 24 karat gold. Yes, it lasts forever. You heard right. And they start at just 59 bucks. Steven Singer's beautiful Valentine's Day red rose won't wilt or die. It doesn't even need water. This is the number one gift women want. It's true. I got one this uh, weekend. My wife was going nuts. It's something unique. It's something special. It lasts forever. They come with your own personalized love note. In Steven Signature's gift in Steven Signature gift box, it's shipped for free, starting at only 59 bucks. It even comes with a scent. There's like a rose scent in there. It's all so amazing. See it for yourself. On the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philly, check out the showroom. Go to IHateStevenSinger.com and get it now. Real roses from a real jeweler for your real love. Steven Singer Jewelers. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Not Sam Wrestling. While you're here, don't forget to please subscribe to this podcast. Don't just download it. Subscribe wherever it is that you got this podcast. And if it's on Apple Podcast, leave a five-star rating and a review. It helps the podcast more than you know. While you're subscribing to things, make sure that you visit us at youtube.com slash Wrestling and hit the subscribe button there. We've got every interview as well as podcast specials going up every single week for free at youtube.com slash Wrestling. And if you want even more Not Sam Wrestling, if one show a week does not suffice, become a Not Sam shill at patreon.com slash Wrestling. We do a bonus episode every single week. You can watch the podcast get recorded live every single week. Video of everything that we do, opportunities for Zoom calls, and of course, for everybody that signs up as a Not Sam shill, you get every Not Sam Wrestling podcast early and 100% ad-free. Thank you for listening to the show and for your continued support of Not Sam Wrestling. Ray's former AAA mate Conan also ended up in WCW, now as NWO member K-Dog. And eventually, the two ended up as pay-per-view rivals. This was perfect. It elevated Ray not only as one who went beyond the cruiserweight division, but every bit of underdog power was magnified when this five-foot, six-inch warrior opposed the colossal NWO group. You have to understand, cruiserweights were a sideshow of WCW Nitro, and we're now watching Rey Mysterio actively engage and be that good guy hero that the biggest group in wrestling, the NWO, was looking to take down. At one point, Rey Mysterio was launched into the side of a trailer by the seven-foot big sexy Kevin Nash like a lawn dart. The most important rivalry of Rey Mysterio's WCW career was against another AAA alum, Eddie Guerrero. At Halloween Havoc 97, Eddie, who by then was cruiserweight champion, agreed to defend his title against Ray if Ray put his mask on the line. Ray Mysterio Jr. was instrumental in teaching the American audience how important the mask was to the Lucha Libre tradition. Ray agreed to the stipulation, and as he entered the arena in gear insp- in gear that was inspired by the Phantom superhero, What followed was a match that to this day is one of my top 10, if not top five, best matches of all time, any era. This 
was the match that left no doubt as to what the cruiserweights were capable of. The match that showed the mainstream WCW pay-per-view audience the magic that the Lucha style could produce. And a match that showed the world Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio were capable of main eventing shows. This is something that people would be proven to not be dis- uh, to, to not be incorrect on. To add context once more, by the way, Ray and Eddie were not clearly the main event that night, Halloween Havoc 97. Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper were. The cage match between Piper and Hogan was insensitively called Age in the Cage by many fans who looked at Hogan and Piper as being past their prime. Piper was 43. Hogan was 44. Granted, medical science and nutrition have come a long way. But today, Rey Mysterio is older than both of them. He's 47. And I don't think that anyone today would turn down seeing Rey Mysterio in a main event cage match. Eddie and Ray did something special and remarkable at Halloween Havoc 97. I still don't know that people realize how important historically that match was or realize just how good it was. But they certainly didn't in, in 1997 yet. By the beginning of 1998, Ray was written out of storylines after a feud with Chris Jericho in order to get a knee operation. A knee operation. In 1998, He would continue to use that knee for over 20 years after. When Ray returned, Eddie Guerrero would begin complaining about the treatment many of the Latino athletes in WCW were receiving and would form the heel faction, the Latino World Order, the LWO, which of course was a takeoff on the NWO. The group would go on a quest to get Mysterio to join. Ray believed in fighting much more honorably than did the members of the LWO. Eventually, Ray was forced to join because of losing a match, but would not allow that to affect his honor. After feuding with the LWO as a member of the LWO, the original New World Order came together and demanded Ray remove his LWO colors. When he wouldn't, a storyline started that led to a hair versus mask match at Super Brawl involving Conan and Ray and the Outsiders, and it unfortunately ended with Ray Mysterio unmasking. I say unfortunately because, as I earlier said, it had not only been established how important the mask was, Ray had been one of the key people to establish it here in the States. Ray moving in ways that looked impossible were even more fantastic because we didn't see a human face with them. We rooted for Ray because we saw his underdog struggle as a reflection of whatever we were going for. We rooted for Ray because we saw his underdog struggle as a reflection of whatever we were going through. And we could see him as a reflection of ourselves because we didn't see his face. It could be any of us. So not only is, is, is the whole tradition of Lucha at stake here, but it's also the true identity of the Rey Mysterio character. Not to mention, his name was Rey Mysterio, king of mystery. The main mystery being, hey, what's that guy's face look like? A lot of the significance was also lost when it, terms of, when it comes to Ray losing his mask, because at around this time, WCW unmasked several famous luchadors. Psychosis, Juventud Guerrera, they all ended up barefaced. It was not all bad news, however, as the unmasked Ray Mysterio, who, looked, uh, who at 25 years old now looked about 10 years younger, went on, to, went on a run as a giant killer, defeating people like Kevin Nash and Bam Bam Bigelow. Mysterio would end up teaming up with Billy Kidman for a while, then in a very 1999 move, of course, joined Master P's No Limit Soldiers. Yeah, you probably didn't know that. What else are you going to do in 1999 once you lose your mask? You're going to join Master P's No Limit Soldiers, the actual hip-hop group and wrestling faction. They feuded with the West Texas Rednecks, Rednecks in a rivalry that was about whether country or rap music was better. Then, Rey Mysterio would turn heel. Yes, 
a heel with no mask. People, that's the, 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 the antithesis of what we see Ray as today. And he would start the Filthy Animals faction with Eddie Guerrero and Kidman. The end of Ray's WCW run gets very messy and not terribly noteworthy, which is a real shame because 1996 through 1998 is incredible. And while he never reached his full potential in WCW, starting strong, never quite getting there, and ending in a mess is a pretty common story of WCW in the late 90s and early 2000s. Ray and Kidman would actually win the newly minted Cruiserweight Tag Team Championship on the very last episode of Monday Nitro. After WCW was purchased by WWE, Ray would go back to Mexico and finally wrestle for CMLL. He would spend the next two years not only in CMLL, but also Puerto Rico and on some American independent shows riding out his leftover contract from Time Warner. It was 2002. After the whole invasion mess had already happened in WWE, Ray was able to avoid all of it. The hype vignettes started playing, announcing that Ray Mysterio, officially dropping the junior from his name, was coming to SmackDown. And while Ray lost the junior, he regained his mask, as was clear by his vignettes that featured the mask, some smoke, some text, and nothing else. In the summer of 02, Ray burst onto one of the best WWE scenes of all time, showing off a bigger physique than we had last seen with more tattoos and baggy pants instead of tights. Ray not only had the mask back, but was now wearing icy cold color contacts to add to the mystery. It should be noted that while his past was obviously acknowledged, Ray losing his mask was never addressed as part of WWE canon. Rey Mysterio won his SmackDown debut, defeating Chavo Guerrero, and made a huge impression later that night in the main event, delivering a picture-perfect crossbody off the top of a cage to save Edge in the main event and going to SummerSlam a few weeks later to tear the house down with Kurt Angle in an absolutely classic opening match. Rey would become part of the SmackDown 6 along with Chavo Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Kurt Angle, and Edge. Six superstars that would define SmackDown as a true wrestler's brand and offer a more athletic style than WWE had ever had before. This was never more clearly on display than in the SmackDown Tag Title Tournament. The six men would feud over the title, putting on some of the best tag team matches ever seen, with Edge and Ray together holding the belts at one point. Ray was going through a part of his career where he had a lot of the credibility that he had built. So much of what he had done in WCW and ECW and AAA, it had all followed him. And he was able to bring people up with him as he went. And that's what he did for Edge. When Edge was having a moment where he was really in this place of self-discovery as a character, where he, was, where he was moving past that sort of mysterious you-think-you-know-me guy and going, how do I get to that next level where I can play in the main event space? Teaming with Rey Mysterio is one of the first things that brought him there as this Smacks Down 6 revolution was happening. Most of 2003 would see Mysterio competing for the WWE Cruiserweight Championship, which, much like WCW, was not something WWE had really ever been known for, but was given an identity thanks to Ray and opponents like Tajiri, Billy Kidman, Chavo Guerrero, and Jamie Noble. In 2004, Ray first won the Tag Team Championship with Rob Van Dam, then Eddie Guerrero. Meaning in 2004, obviously, he won it with Edge earlier. Even though they were champions, uh, a slight lack of trust and a healthy competition led to partners Eddie and Ray having a match against each other at WrestleMania 21. No surprise, this is an incredible match. And lucky for Ray, he ends up winning. Of course, Ray Mysterio's win resulted in the competition between he and Eddie no longer being healthy as Eddie turned on Ray. As the Eddie and Ray rivalry began, Eddie reminded Ray of a secret that he had. A secret that involved Ray's eight-year-old son, Dominic. That secret? 
Of course. Dominic, I'm your poppy. Eddie Guerrero was revealed as the biological father of Ray's real-life son, Dominic, and threatened to take custody back. As custody papers were drawn up, there was only one logical conclusion that could be reached. We would take those custody papers, we would hang them high above the ring, and we'd have a ladder match. Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, whoever grabs those custody papers gets to have custody of young Dominic. Now, look, as much as Halloween Havoc tells you everything you need to know about Eddie and Ray and the matches they can have, this one tells you everything else. In no way, shape, or form should this have worked. A soap opera storyline leading to a laughable ladder match, it's ridiculous. But the performances of Ray and Eddie, uh, and Dominic too, Ray's ability to draw sympathy and get cheers, Eddie's ability to make you believe he was despicable, and then the match? Who cares what's hanging above the ladder when the match is this good? It was so well done that Ray hugging his son after gaining his custody back by winning a ladder match was actually a feel-good moment. Who can pull that off? It was unbelievable. Unfortunately, however, tragedy struck after that as Eddie was found dead not long after this in one of the saddest losses wrestling has experienced. Ray would get to have a dream match for Eddie on the Raw Guerrero tribute show, defeating Shawn Michaels. Ray uh, would a bit later become tag team champions once again with Batista. January of 2006 would be life-altering for Rey Mysterio from a professional perspective. Obviously, 2005 was more life-altering as he secured custody of his son. On a professional level, though, it was all about 2006 for Ray. While part of several high-profile storylines, the main event scene had always eluded Ray. In 2006, Ray entered the Royal Rumble at number two. He went 62 minutes, a record at the time, last eliminating Randy Orton, and became the Royal Rumble winner, which guaranteed him a WrestleMania main event. Well, guarantees are meant to be broken. Ray would lose the opportunity to Randy Orton after a story that revolved around Randy disrespecting the memory of the late Eddie Guerrero. But Ray, thanks to Theodore Long, would get added back into the match, making it a triple threat main event and seeing Ray overcome Randy Orton and Kurt Angle for the first time to become the WWE World Heavyweight Champion at WrestleMania 22. Ray started a feud with JBL that culminated with JBL losing a loser leaves SmackDown match and becoming a color commentary, uh, color commentator. Mysterio lost several non-title matches as champion to Rob Van Dam, Mark Henry, Great Khali, and retained via no contest against Sabu. Ray would lose the title to King Booker in July of that year at the Great American Bash. And while it wasn't the greatest run ever, Ray was significantly elevated by it. Ray did so well in his main event matches that belief in Ray as an underdog main event winner was cemented. From this point forward, the idea of Ray being in those pay-per-view main events was no longer, that'll never happen. It was, it's expected to happen. Ray would go on to feud with Chavo after, and while he lost a little more often than he should have, in the process... Vicky Guerrero, widow of Eddie, turned on Ray. Vicky would, of course, go on to become one of the best heel characters of this time. Mysterio had another knee operation that kept him out of action for a few months, and when he returned, he got justice over Chavo and had a rivalry with Finley. After a bicep injury and a few more opponents, Ray challenged JBL for the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania 25, and after winning the Intercontinental title in only 21 seconds, JBL took the microphone and quit wrestling for real this time. 
Chris Jericho became obsessed with removing Ray's mask, but was unable to after several matches, including one where Ray faked him out with a second mask. A rivalry between Ray and Batista would also begin with Ray's former partner Batista turning on him. Mysterio started a rivalry with Straight Edge Society's CM Punk, who interrupted a birthday celebration for Mysterio's real-life daughter, Aaliyah. Ray's dedication to telling stories and bringing his family in where need be is unreal. He would end up beating Punk at WrestleMania and in subsequent matches leading to Punk having his head shaved and eventually donning a mask, much like Ray, to cover up the fact that Punk was now bald. Ray would win his second World Heavyweight Championship, replacing an injured Undertaker in a fatal four-way against Jack Swagger, Big Show, and CM Punk. Ray beat Swagger uh, a month later at Money in the Bank, but Kane came out afterwards and cashed in his new briefcase only a month later to win that championship away from Rey Mysterio. He next had uh, feuds with the debuting Alberto Del Rio and with Cody Rhodes before being drafted to Monday Night Raw. At Money in the Bank 2011, of course, we remember CM Punk defeated John Cena and walked out on WWE with the championship. A tournament was held to crown a new WWE champion, which Mysterio won, last beating The Miz. However, John Cena beat him for that championship later that same night. And while it felt like, okay, we're, we're, we're kind of taking this away from Ray, I think that it meant more to be Ray's never had the WWE championship before. Let's give it to him. They could have just as easily done the tournament and have John Cena face the winner and that's the champion. But I think that for what it's worth, even though it was only for two hours, they did want to have to allow Rey Mysterio to have a moment as WWE champion. Rey was out with an injury after that. When he came back, he spent time teaming with newcomer Sin Cara, obviously trying to get the Lucha star uh, acclimated to WWE style. Uh, however, Mysterio ended up taking more time off as the Sin Cara team kind of ended up going nowhere and Ray ended up kind of just being washed around with a lot of other people. For one of the few times in his WWE career, Ray Mysterio was actually booed at the 2014 Royal Rumble, coming in at number 30, though it was no fault of his own. Fans were looking for a Daniel Bryan surprise. That's really what they were booing, not Ray Mysterio. After being in and out for most of 2014, he departed from WWE, and that was announced at the beginning of 2015. For a lot of people, that would be the end of a career. You're talking about 1989 to 2015. You're talking about Mexico, ECW, WCW, WWE, what's left to do? Something happened to Rey Mysterio in his time away from WWE. I don't know if it was maybe the first time he got to take a breath from wrestling in general. I don't know if it was the fact that the last time he was not under contract with a major organization, it was 14 years earlier. It was before his SmackDown run. It was before the SmackDown 6. It was before he won the championship. It was before winning three different WrestleMania matches. It was before all of it. And when he left WWE, it was almost like he turned the hands on the clock back. He would spend the next few years back in AAA for the first time since 1995. He was wrestling on the American Indies. He even did uh, some time in Lucha Underground where he worked with Prince Puma, who's now known as Ricochet. Uh, he briefly showed up in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He even competed at the all-in pay-per-view, the predecessor to AEW all-in, Ray was there. He showed up as a surprise entrant in the 2018 Royal Rumble to a huge ovation. He then showed up for the greatest Royal Rumble and later, later that year, and by September, he had officially re-signed with WWE. It was amazing to see Ray in this state. It was almost as if all of the good that Ray had done had been injected into his system 
and he had become this new force. Ray would have another rivalry with Randy Orton upon coming back to WWE and have some tremendous matches with Andrade and with Samoa Joe, which would lead to a WrestleMania match and after his first run and after his first run as WWE United States champion. Ray would start flirting with the idea of retirement on screen and we'd be reintroduced to his now adult son, Dominic, who was trying to convince him not to retire. Obviously, Ray did not retire but he did catch a beatdown from Brock Lesnar, in response to which Ray decided to go into his catalog of friends and draw somebody from Brock Lesnar's past. That was Cain Velasquez, of course. Uh, Ray, uh, 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 unfortunately, Brock Lesnar did end up beating Cain Velasquez, but. The Velasquez moment is important, and it's not important because it was so fleeting. It's not important because it never got that huge payoff. It's because it showed Ray in a mentor role. It showed what Ray was really capable of and how much he was trusted to do. Ray accompanied the MMA fighter on all of his press. Uh, he was with him on all of his on-screen promos. He was there with him in real-life training. Clearly, the thought was, if Cain Velasquez couldn't succeed with Ray, it simply wasn't going to happen. After Brock beat Cain Velasquez, it would be Ray that got the opportunity to face Lesnar. And while Ray was not able to conquer the beast, uh, there are some wonderful moments of Ray Mysterio offense in the Brock Lesnar match as well as a double 619 involving Ray and Dominic that showcased what the next generation of Mysterio may actually be capable of. Once the pandemic hit and shows started to be competed in front of no fans, a lot of faith was put in Ray Mysterio and his ability to have great matches regardless of the situation or surrounding. Ray would begin a rivalry with Seth Rollins, that started with Rollins trying to pierce Ray's eyeball in a match. It culminated with an eye-for-an-eye match between Rollins and Mysterio, where to win, you would have to remove your opponent's eyeball. Yes, there is one superstar in the history of wrestling that competed in a ladder match with the custody of his actual son hanging above the ladder, and years later competed in a match where to win, you would have to take your opponent's eye out. And this superstar is still a GOAT. Do you know the ability that you have to have? Do you know the amount of GOAT you have to be to pull off both of those things, plus everything else? Ray lost to Seth, however, it appears that luck was on our side because we were informed the next night that while it would take Ray out of action for a bit, there was an optimism within the medical community that Ray's eyeball may be saved. And as we know today, Ray does have two main, mostly functioning eyeballs. Ray and Dominic began teaming together, having pay-per-view matches with Rollins and his disciple, Buddy Murphy. At one point, uh, Ray's daughter, Aaliyah, was involved and became romantically linked with Murphy. It would all finally end with Murphy turning on Rollins. The Mysterios would remain a team, becoming the first father-son tag team champions in WWE history. But I would hope at this point, I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. From taking on the family business at 14 to introducing Lucha to Philadelphia, bringing it to the main stage on WCW Nitro, feuding with one of the hottest acts in wrestling history, surviving having his mask and identity removed, excelling in the land of the giants, fighting for the custody of his eight-year-old son in a ladder match, winning tag gold with that son over a decade later, winning the cruiserweight tag team, U.S., Intercontinental, World, and WWE Championship. Losing your eye, then getting it back. Inspiring multiple generations of wrestling fans. Appearing ageless through one of the most athletically demanding styles that one can wrestle with. And the whole time, bringing those around you up with you. There is no one 
like Rey Mysterio. And if I had a video game, I would put Rey Mysterio on the cover. But hey, what do I know? Those are just my thoughts. I appreciate you all. Thank you for hanging out. I'm looking forward to uh, the Royal Rumble in a couple weeks. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. Before we split, before we get out of here, here's what I think needs to happen at the Rumble. We'll talk about surprises and stuff next week. But this just occurred to me right now, and I want to get this out of my system while I have the chance. If it's up to me, Royal Rumble this year, clearly we can go in a direction where uh, Roman Reigns beats Seth, Brock Lesnar beats uh, uh, Lashley, and then we do champion versus champion at WrestleMania. I think that that's probably the most likely thing. I think that's what people are, are expecting to happen. Uh, once we do champion versus champion, I think there are some that would like the titles unified. I think that, uh, that we should not unify the titles. I think that it should be champion versus champion. I think Roman Reigns should beat Brock Lesnar. And I think that Roman should then be on both shows, holding both titles as champion of both shows. I mean, a year ago at WrestleMania, he stacked up Edge and Daniel Bryan. What more is there for him to do? have both titles. And this is a wonderful opportunity to put both titles on them. However, that is sort of the direction I'd go in if I were trying to think in the direction that they're going in. If they just said, Sam, what do you think we should do? What do you want to do? I think we're at a point now where it's time to keep turning people on their heads. I think that when you look at what happened with uh, Brock winning the title, it was like all positive, you know? I mean, not for Big E and not for Big E fans. And of course, people are going to be upset about that, but they weren't like, I'm so over this upset. They were upset like their favorite wrestler lost. But ultimately, the response coming out of that show was, oh my God, can you believe what's happening? What is going to happen next? Oh my God, what is going to happen next? That, oh my God, what is going to happen next is so important when it comes to wrestling. We have to be saying that. We don't have to be saying that at the expense of good stories. If you look back at the Attitude Era, the emphasis was on, oh my God, what's going to happen next? And some of the stuff that was happening was not for the betterment of the overall story and some stuff would get dropped. It was just like we were, you know, flying by the seat of our pants, writing week for week. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is is figuring out where people think it's going and then surprising them, but knowing what the next three steps are later so you're not going to screw yourself for the sake of surprising people. I think at the Royal Rumble this year, Brock Lesnar beats Bobby Lashley. Seth Rollins beats Roman Reigns. Everyone can have one bad night. Everyone can misstep once. I would have Seth Rollins beat Roman Reigns. And I'll tell you why. I think that it should be an in, not no cheating, no chicanery, no nothing. I don't think Rollins should end with a big finish. I don't think it should be that decisive. I don't think it should be a stomp and then Roman gets pinned one, two, three. I think it should be Roman makes a mistake. For the first time in over a year and a half, Roman makes one mistake. And let's give Seth the rub. Let's let him be that guy. Roman makes one single mistake. And Seth is able to take advantage of that mistake. Now, it could be Roman makes that mistake and then Seth hits the stomp and pins him or the mistake could lead to a pin, whatever it is. It doesn't even have to be, it could be like Roman makes a mistake, Seth goes for a roll-up, one, two, it's clearly going to be a kick out, three, Seth wins. What? What? You have people looking around like, what? And Seth walks out the universal champion. And then Seth shows up on SmackDown. I would then take it to WrestleMania with Roman, you know, Roman is going to be pissed about it. Roman's going to be talking about it. But I would say the Raw after Royal Rumble, you start telling the Brock Lesnar-Roman Reigns story, right? Like you immediately go to Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. 
and you're just focused on that. So your main event for WrestleMania is still Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. But over on SmackDown, Seth Rollins is now running stuff. And you figure out a great opponent, whoever wins the Royal Rumble, whether that's Big E, whether that's whoever. I mean, you know, make it make it somebody really impactful and let's get a story behind it. If you want, maybe for next week, I could come up with a great story for Seth. But I would have Seth go to WrestleMania against a different opponent and have that be your two-night WrestleMania. And then eventually, eventually, what maybe, probably we'd have to do it at SummerSlam, although maybe at SummerSlam you can do Rollins versus Lesnar and then Survivor Series. I don't know if you can wait all the way till November. But maybe at SummerSlam you do Rollins versus Reigns again. The idea is that in this moment, Rollins is the first person to get a victory over Roman. And it's because Roman made one mistake. And Rollins gets that title. Because we're going through WrestleMania season, we're going to have to visit that later because Roman's got bigger fish to fry. Seth has bigger fish to fry. WrestleMania season offers us the uh, unlikely scenario of being able to put that on the back burner and revisit it, right? Like we can now come off of Royal Rumble and while Seth can celebrate his victory and Roman can start talking about Brock, we can do this without Seth and Roman being obsessed with each other. And if we can do that, then post-WrestleMania, we can get back to Seth versus Roman. I think Seth versus Roman is just a complete money match. I think Seth versus Roman is about as big a match as you could do with full-time superstars on the WWE roster. And I don't think that that's the feeling going into the Seth Roman match at Royal Rumble. And the reason for that is because there's no real story going in. We started to see an inkling of a story this week on SmackDown. Promo was great. Going over the Shield stuff. I love that that Seth's knock on the door. It's the Shield song. It's great. I love all, you know, that we're talking about this. I love that Seth is taking credit as the as the architect and everything. That's cool. I'm I'm down. I'm here for it all. But it's almost like we're backwards storytelling because the thing that got us to the match is not the story. The match is just magically announced and then we started storytelling. I think that if we can come out of this match with an even bigger story and we can leave this thing floating where Roman has beaten everybody and then Roman goes to WrestleMania and beats Brock and becomes the WWE champion and Roman has beaten everybody but he hasn't beaten Seth and that's not this thing that we talk about every week. That's just this thing that's out there. Well, then by the time you revisit Roman versus Seth, you've got mega match of the century, especially if you can just put it off for as long as humanly possible. And if you keep them on two separate brands, you can, you know, you figured out a way if you've got, if you've got Seth, because what, yeah, what you would do is, is you've got Seth on SmackDown now. Roman tries to get on Raw, can't get on Raw. Roman goes and wins the Elimination Chamber which apparently the rumor is that they're bringing to Saudi in February. That's the rumor. I don't know if it's true. But if Roman can win the Elimination Chamber match, well, then all of a sudden, after February, Roman can hang out on Raw all that he wants. Seth stays on SmackDown because he's the Universal Champion. He's got the blue belt. If Roman beats Lesnar at WrestleMania for the WWE Championship, now Roman can do his thing on Raw. And I think that would help Raw immensely if Roman were on the show. And I think that there are ways you can get stars from Raw to go over to SmackDown to help them. You know, having Rollins over there wouldn't hurt, but then, you know, put a couple other guys over there. I think you're onto something. I really think you're onto something. But if it were me, I'd be in those meetings and I'd go, look, let's shock the world. Nobody thinks Rollins is going to win. Nobody thinks he's going to win. But it actually makes more sense for him to win. And here's why. And I would, I would pitch them on this. I believe right now, unless you are hell-bent, and, and here's the other thing, unless you're hell-bent on, on, on putting the titles together, unless you're hell-bent on unifying the titles. However, you can't be hell-bent on unifying the titles 
because you never planned on Brock Lesnar being the WWE champion. The per the point was to do Roman versus Brock at the pay-per-view and to have one of the other four win the WWE championship. These stories were never supposed to intersect. And now here we are. So we got to get back to WrestleMania with Brock, with Brock versus Roman. How are we going to do that? Unify the titles? No. Of course you should not unify the titles. You have two shows. You should have two champions. That's it. But you can get there without occupying all the titles and have this thing looming where it's like, okay, at some point this is going to get paid off. And eventually that's the key. Pay it off. I appreciate all you guys. Thank you for uh, for hanging with us. God bless Rey Mysterio. And we'll see you next week. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.